now for a really, really important question. And we're all going to have to be honest with each other when we do this this morning. Now remember, you're in a safe place. The people next to you, they like you. They're not going to judge you too much. And if they do, you won't know. So it's all good. So who cares? But give me a wave. Who here likes doing the washing? I'm talking like washing dishes, washing stuff around the house, clothes. Go on, be honest this morning. I'm not going to lie, that was more hands than I expected. It was probably less than a tenth of the room this morning. And look, the next question I thought I was going to pose, I probably won't go there. Give me a wave if you think the person next to you should do more washing, but don't wave at me for that one there. It's for all the married couples, you can discuss it on your way home. And the yet to be married, you probably should have that before you do your premarital counselling. But 12 months ago, as some of you know, nearly 12 months ago, I became a parent for the first time which is crazy to think that I nearly have a one-year-old, which is making me feel really old, so I can only imagine how my father feels right now. So I'm here, it's a joke, you're a good man, Dad. But I feel like the amount of washing that I've had to do since Deacon came along is incredible. And by me, I mean the amount of washing Talisha has had to do since Deacon came along has been incredible. Relax, it's not a gender joke, guys. It's just the honest, maybe I wrecked one too many white T-shirts along the way. But between clothes washing, bathing, Washing the car, washing the house, not even to include my personal hygiene. There's just a lot of washing going on at our household at the moment. So be thinking of our water bill when that comes around. But the reason I wanted to talk about washing this morning is this. Give me a wave if washing sounds like fun to you. Once again, these people, I'm going to pray for you after the service if you're into washing. But for the rest of us, I think we can all agree, except for that minority in the room, that washing is not one of those fun things that comes to mind, is it? When you think about having a good time, unless you're once again that small minority in the room, you go, washing is not even in the top 10. Give me a wave of washing is in your top 50. Yep, I rest my case, you're on it. That's all I said, that one there. But the reason I wanted to talk about washing is, it's one of those glamorous and mundane jobs that's, one of those things we have to do though, give me a wave if we all know that you have to do your washing at some point. When I was younger, I lived out of home and as a young man, I thought I'd come up with the perfect solution to doing washing. I simply just bought more clothes. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, now I've run out of money, so now I'm gonna have to do something. So I did what every young man would do. I drove to my parents' house. I walked in the door, mum and dad looked me in the eye and just laughed. And they said, go put it back in your car, boy. It's not welcome here, so it's fine. <laughs> Because for me, when I was a younger man, and even now, washing is not fun. It's not what I want to be doing. I don't want to be spending my time doing it. But as we said, it's one of those things that you have to do. I believe we should all live an adventurous life. But guess what an adventurous life involves? Washing. Guess what, guess what happens when you go on an adventure and you decide to feed an 11-month-old a Promite sandwich? Washing. Or you just pray his grandparents give him some clothes. It's fine to go there. But the reason we're looking at washing this morning is often in our lives, we only want to do the fun things. We want to go on the adventures. We don't want to do the washing because it's one of those tasks that's humbling. And who knows the humbling tasks are not always fun, amen? Now, this very idea that I wanted to explore this morning is the idea of humility. And this was birthed out of my time I was up at Hope Tour Queensland. I remember standing there at a session that I'll talk about in a minute, and I felt the Holy Spirit drop some words into my heart, which is what I wanted to share with you this morning. But the question that we're going to be looking at during our time together today, as you can see on the screen behind me, is what does a humble life require? 
Because I believe that as followers of Jesus, our lives actually should be marked by humility. Throughout Scripture, we see multiple references to humility, such as Proverbs 11.2, where we read, When arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. We also have a great example of Jesus' parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, which describes a Pharisee praying out loud, Thank goodness I'm not like that tax collector who was standing next to him. Which, let's be honest, how weird would that be if that happened on a Sunday morning down the front? Someone prayed, thank goodness I'm not like that person. But what jumped out at me is actually we see Jesus' response in verse 14, which was this. I tell you, this one who humbled himself, referring to the tax collector, went home justified rather than the other one. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. These are just a few examples of humility that we see throughout Scripture. And we're going to use a couple more as we get into our time together this morning to dig into what are some of the marks of a humble life. But I also wanted to acknowledge this morning, I know how it sounds to be preaching on humility. And let me get in front of this. I'm not perfect in humility and I don't always get it right. As I was preparing this message, I thought back to some of the things that I've said and done as a younger man, and I cringed with how much it was. But then I thought, we can all strive to be more like Jesus, amen? Much like we see the tax collector who calls himself, Lord, have mercy on me, a humble sinner. Now, and as I touched on this morning, the seed of this message was originally birthed while I was up in Hope Tour, Queensland. For those of you who don't know what Hope Tour is, it's a schools-based ministry do. This year we've been to three different states, went to WA, Victoria and Queensland. And in those three states we've seen just under 10,000 kids be reached with the message of hope, which is pretty wild. But we were standing at one of the schools on the Friday morning and it was a session where we had all the year sevens and the year nines coming in and who knows that group age bracket, you all know, you're all sitting over there, you guys get a little rowdy in the mornings. So the crew was sitting around going, we have to get set up. And I watched our crew set up speakers, run cables, plug in microphones, change batteries, put up, put up banners, set everything up so the session could happen. And as I looked around, I watched this team at work. And as I was watching it unfold, I felt the Holy Spirit drop these words into my, into my heart. It was this, a humble life. And I stopped and thought about those words because I looked as 300 young people were in this session being ministered to by Chris Sebastian and Benji as well. But not one of them would ever know the name of the person that set up their microphone so they could be ministered to, who organised it or whatnot. But it was through the humility of that team and the way they worked, God was able to do something huge. Amen. And imagine if the mark of our lives was humility and what kingdom impact we could do from that this morning. Amen. I believe that we can all aspire to live a life that is full of humility and in service to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We also, as a community, as Jasmine touched on this morning, we don't do life alone. We actually do life together. This is something we can champion each other with as we gather together on a Sunday morning and beyond. We're all in this together. Amen. So, let's open our Bibles this morning and let's have a look at two examples of washing in both the Old and the New Testament. And the title of my message for our time today, together today is this, A Life Washed in Humility. But before we get into the Word today, can we all take a moment just to stand, to stop and to focus our hearts onto the Holy Spirit? So we'd like to stand with me, I'd love to pray before we open up the Word of God. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here this morning. 
Thank you, Lord, that you've already been moving, that you've already been ministering. Father, as we come around your living and holy word this morning, let it speak to us, Lord. Let any words that are from me fall away, but let what words that are from you remain. Father, let this be a message in season. Holy Spirit, do some heart work in all of us this morning. Let us walk out of this room more formed in your image than when we came into it. We love you so much, Heavenly Father, in your precious and holy name. Amen. So let's jump straight into it together. Let's head over to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to 19, and it will appear on the screen behind me as well. And in this passage of Scripture, we're introduced to a number of different characters, with the first being a man by the name of Naaman, who was the commander for the army of the king of Aram. Now, Naaman really is a fascinating character when you do some deep diving and have a look on him. And even in verse 1, there's quite a lot of theological things you could pull out from it, which we don't have time to, but I'd love to at another time. But for a bit of context, Naaman had recently won a victory against Israel, when he was considered an important man. But as we'll read, he also suffered from a skin disease. So with that in mind, let's read together from verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone to the raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And therefore the king of Aram said, Go, I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and he took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. I wanted to quickly draw our attention back to verse 2, where we're introduced to the young girl from Israel who served Naaman's wife. What's fascinating about her response in verse 3 is that it shows sincere care for Naaman's welfare. What's fascinating is she cared for a man who had defeated her people and taken her into slavery. This is an important point and not one to skip over, as this passage and the one we'll look at a little bit later lays out two examples of what it means to love our enemies. And as I spent time with these couple of verses, it really stirred something in me. And it could be a whole other sermon, which was, how do we respond to those who are persecuting us? Do we show genuine care and concern? But that's not my message for today, and who knows, that could be one for another time. So as we continue in this passage of Scripture, we see Naaman head off to see the prophet Elijah in Israel. And in verse 8 to 9, we see the intent of this story, which was that the people would know that there is a prophet in Israel at this time in history. So let's read the exchange between Elijah and Naaman, who arrived at Elijah's place. So Naaman, Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. Then Elijah sent him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. So there you go. It's as simple as that. Go wash and be clean. So after all that travel, communication between, a king, between two kings, political maneuvering, that's the set of instructions Naaman receives. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it, when you take all that into account. But let's look at his response. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself, he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands all over the place and cure the skin disease. 
Abner and Pharaoh, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he left in a rage. Clearly, this conversation had not gone how Naaman expected. In his head, it was going to be epic. And in his words, the prophet would come out, wave his hands and be all good to go. But that's not how it played out. And if we're honest with each other here this morning, Naaman's response is one I'm sure we've all felt a few times when God hasn't shown up in the way we thought he would. Sometimes we have and we place expectation on things of how they're going to play out, the things we've been praying for. And when when it doesn't pan out, we then have unmet expectations. For Naaman, this is where he found himself. But if we keep reading together, we see another servant speak up. And in verse 13, we read, But his servants approached him and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more should you do it then when he only tells you, wash and be clean? In this moment, the servant, just like the slave girl we read about earlier, had more faith than Naaman that the God of Israel could heal him, as the prophet said, which is the first point I wanted to look at this morning. A humble life requires faith, obedience, and gratitude. Because of how simple and seemingly small the task was, Naaman was not happy to do it. And often in our lives, God is asking for our faith and obedience in the small things when we think he's actually requiring mighty deeds. From this interaction with with the servant, Naaman goes to the river. He washes seven times as he's asked and he's healed. He then returns to Elijah and acknowledges that there is no God in the whole world except in Israel. And he refers to himself as a servant and expresses his gratitude as we see in verse 15. Throughout the process of faithfulness and obedience in the little, it produced not only gratitude in Naaman's life, but humility as well. We, as followers of Jesus, have to be careful not to despise the small things. Yes, God can use us for regrettable and mighty things, but there are often so many little moments of faithfulness that lead up to those mighty things. And as we're faithful in the little, imagine what Jesus can do through us and ultimately have an impact for the kingdom. Amen. Earlier this year, I had the pleasure of reading Eugene Peterson's biography called A Burning in My Bones that was recommended to me by Steve Crennan. And if you're looking for a deeply inspiring read, I cannot recommend it more highly. Even if you're not a reader and you just call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is a good book to read. The book opens with one of Eugene's sons telling a story of one evening when he was little boy it was dinner time and his mother asked him to go get his dad so they could all eat together he recounts walking up the stairs to his father's office then the door being slightly open and he peers in and he sees his dad on his knees praying he describes it as a profound moment as he saw he was witnessing something very special and in his words holy a little thing like prayer all of a sudden had a huge impact on this young man Eugene Peterson would go on, as many of them would know, to impact countless people's lives through his books, messages, teaching and more. But throughout his biography, what continued to shine through the whole time I was reading it was this. He was a humble man, full of faith, obedience and gratitude because of what his saviour had done in his life. The more we seek to become like Jesus, as we'll look at in our next passage of scripture, 
I believe that we'll actually live lives marked by humility. And whilst our current culture may tell us something completely different, I believe there's actually nothing wrong with living a humble life that seeks to follow Jesus. A life full of faith and obedience sounds like a good life to me. It sounds like a life that points others to Jesus simply by seeking to be more like him. In our lives, we're going to come across moments where we're faced with simple tasks like Naaman did. And in those moments, we have two choices. We can either choose to be faithful or not. And like Naaman, humility also requires us to be willing, requires us to be willing to listen to people around us. Think back to the story of Naaman. He first listens to a servant girl. He then listens to the prophet and then his own servant. This may be hard to believe, but sometimes we don't have all the answers. But I believe God places good people around us who can help. Humility is the ability to recognise this and be willing to listen. It's also important to not overlook the simple or humble tasks as followers of Jesus to which we're called, such as prayer and community. A life washed in humility looks like a life that has faith, obedience and gratitude. But I believe that there's another crucial element to a humble life that we'll read in a second. So let's head over to our next passage of Scripture and let's jump all the way over to the New Testament and let's jump into John chapter 13, verse 1 to 11. John's Gospel is fascinatingly different to the other three Gospels as it clearly teaches about Jesus' Messiahship by including unique accounts that highlight His divinity. Over 90% of its material is unique to the Gospel of John. And this particular passage of scripture is located in what's called the farewell discourse by biblical scholars as it occurs right before the passion narrative and it's focused upon Jesus' instructions to his new messianic community upon which you and I are a part of. So let's read together from John 13 verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it in the heart of Jesus, Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew what the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't realise now, but afterwards you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter says. Classic Peter response there. Jesus replies, If I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and head. Once again, classic Peter, he goes to extremes, this guy. Jesus responds, One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet because he is completely clean. You were clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. In our modern context, there's a lot on first reading that perhaps we would not pick, on about, pick up about this passage of scripture. But what we can't miss is the striking act of humility and servanthood by Jesus. Looking at the physical act of feet washing in itself, this was a task in Jewish culture that was reserved for non-Jewish slaves, as it was not a nice job. 
Back then, everyone walked everywhere, so you could only imagine how gnarly their feet were. If you think your feet get dirty after a day in thongs, head back to there. I could guarantee it was worse. But that's what's so revolutionary about it. It was an act reserved for non-Jewish slaves, yet here is the king of the Jews doing it. And whilst it's a physical act, there is also a symbolic element to it as well and what Jesus is doing here as it signifies the washing away of sins which would be fulfilled through his death. And a point that really stood out to me was when researching this chunk of scripture was the fact that Jesus washed Judas's feet even though he knew he was going to betray him. What does that say to all of us here this morning about loving our enemies? Jesus wasn't just the disciples' teacher. He was the promised Messiah. And in this passage, we see him not only challenging customary practices of the day and societal norms, but we see him showing his followers a different way, a way that was not only humble, but involved servanthood, or to put it another way, service, which brings us to our second point and second sign of a humble life. A humble life requires service. In John 13, 12 to 17, we see Jesus explain to the disciples the, what the washing of the feet was all about. Because no doubt that would have been confusing. Imagine if you were sitting at that table and all of a sudden the Messiah gets up and cleans your feet during a meal. You'd be going, what is going on here? So let's read what it's all about, reading from verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should also do it just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What a teaching on service. And I believe it's just as poignant today as it was when it was written back then. Because in the ancient world, humility, humility and service were despised as signs of weakness, which makes Jesus' command even more revolutionary. I would argue in our current moment in history, especially here in the Western world that we find ourselves in, this is actually still a revolutionary teaching. Often we find ourselves getting told by the society around us that it's all about us. It's all about what we want. Don't worry about those that have less. It's their fault. It feels like it's all about getting more and more and more and only worrying about ourselves. But as we've just read in verse 14 to 17, service to one another is not optional if we're followers of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I love the punk rock nature of sticking it to the world around us in love, of course, by following the way of Jesus and serving one another. And in some spheres of our culture, other people have been picking up on this idea and we've seen movements rise that are focused all about random acts of kindness, loving the neighbourhood you're in and seeing people around you. And they're great movements. But as followers of Jesus, we're actually part of a movement that is built on more than that. We're a part of a people whose very saviour humbly got down and washed the feet of the disciples, who modelled servant leadership, who through his love for you and I went to the cross so we would be saved from the sin that was ours. 
and I dream about the impact that our lives could have if they were modelled on the way of Jesus. Imagine how that would affect the relationships around us. In this moment of history that's marked by hyper-individualism and living completely online and everything else, imagine the power of a humble life. When people encounter someone who is different, they can't help but stop. Think about that for a second. People have come across your path who are so different that you want to know what is different about them, the way they talk, the way they act, and most of the time their lives are marked by humility. Church, we can be those people. We see the example laid out here by Jesus. We serve a saviour who showed us what humility looked like. And as I read John 13, I couldn't help myself but be drawn into how different and beautiful this act of washing the feet was by Jesus. And whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or you aren't yet one, this act shows us and symbolises his great love for not only his disciples, but for all of us as well. When we read stories like this about Jesus, what we have to never forget is they're not just stories. They're historical accounts of things that happened. In Jesus, we see the perfect servant. As followers of Jesus, we have the task, as this teaching lays out, to try and show that love and service to one another. In my own life, I've been lucky enough to see this kind of humility play out in real ways. I've been very blessed to know many humble people who've lived lives of service to those around them who will never get the glory or honour, but they're content in their lives because of who they're serving. Earlier this year, I was listening to a podcast that was all about church planting and discipleship making. It was one of those great podcasts that you know when you start it, an hour and a half later, you just find random things around the house to do so you can finish it. Like washing. I did some washing that day. It's a good day. But what was fascinating, a gentleman was being interviewed and he told the story of a church planter that he knew. Now, this church planter he described, he wasn't a big, well-known Christian name. From all accounts, he wasn't that good of a preacher, he wasn't that charismatic, he served faithfully in a local church for many years, but what he was known for and sold out for was championing the next generation of Jesus followers. Right up until the day he passed away, the very night before, he had a group of people in his home who he was praying for before he sent them out to do a church plant. At his funeral, when they all gathered together and word got around, because of this gentleman's discipleship-making ability, a thousand churches could be directly traced to him. Yet he never preached at a conference. He never wrote a book. And what stood out when I heard this story was, it was a man that served with humility and faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but when I hear stories like that, something inside me stirs. I look around this room with all of you incredible people, Imagine the impact we can have on someone else's life if we served, if we got about the business of discipleship making, if we all of a sudden we asked ourselves, what would Jesus do? And I'm so blown away by this community because for many of you, that's actually a story of this community. Throughout the history of Uni Hill Church, before it became Uni Hill Church as we know today, there have been so many generations that have come before us that have been faithful and humble that you would never know their names. But because of their service, we sit in this room this morning. We hear the word of God being preached freely. We get to enjoy a building like this because there are people that were served in times of good and times of famine. Because ultimately what these people did, this generation that came before was, they understood what it was to think beyond their generation. 
they understood what it was to model their life after Jesus and to serve as he did, amen? And many of us, we wouldn't know what they do. There's so many people you're going to come across in your life that are marked by Jesus, but you'll never actually know what they do. But they don't do it out of a need or a want. They do it out of obedience. They do it out of humble submission. They do it out of humility. And what shines through the lives of these people is not only Jesus' love, but it's also humility. I'm sure as I'm talking right now, we've all got some people that have come into our minds who we know embody this well. Could be our grandparents, could be people we know in this room. But those are the examples we should hold up. Those are the examples that point back to Jesus, amen? So once again, returning to verse 14 and 16 of John 13. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. It's a challenging teaching, no doubt. But it's one that we should return to, reflect on, and ultimately do. How can we serve those around us? How can we metaphorically wash one another's feet? And each of our contexts are different. For some of us here, maybe it's getting involved in one of the ministries of the church and serving that way. For others of us, maybe it's using your gift of hospitality to have people over for a meal or hosting a neighbourhood get-together and creating connections in your community. For others, you're gifted at coming alongside people and just walking alongside them as a friend, being a shoulder to lean on, to offer advice when asked for, to show Jesus in a practical way. There are so many ways that we can serve one another. But as we touched on at the start of our time together today, sometimes they won't always be the big, glamorous and bold tasks. They may be the very humble things. But don't despise them, as who knows what God will do through you. And as I was preparing this message over the last week, I felt like I had a word for someone in this room or who's watching online. You're in a season where you feel like God is not using you fully. You only have seemingly small tasks to do, and it's often causing you a lot of frustration. You want to do more, but it seems like every time you step out, doors keep closing. And the word I felt for whoever that person was, this is a moment where your obedience is being tested. And if you're faithful and obedient with the little, much will be given to you. Don't despise the moment you find yourself in. This is a building moment where you're being prepared for what lies ahead. Amen? I might invite the team back if I could, please. So we began our time this morning looking at washing and me confessing to you how unfun I find washing and how good my wife is at washing. Once again, not a gender thing, relax. But in my own life, I've seen how impactful washing can be, especially as a sign of humility. When I was in year nine, I got to go on a missions trip up to the Northern Territory to spend some time with the Aboriginal communities up there. And as a part of the program, there was one night where all the leaders stood out the front and they washed the feet of all of us students that were there. 
I remember this guy, Aaron, his name was. He was from Canada. He was also in the heavy metal. So we got on really, really well, as you can imagine. But I remember walking up to him and he asked if I could wash his feet. And I remember being so uncomfortable when he asked me that question. Because when you encounter humility like that, you're encountering something different. Eugene Peterson has this great phrase that I love called a thin place. A thin place is when you enter something where heaven is so close, you feel you can almost reach out and touch it. Happens some mornings here on a Sunday in worship. And it was one of those moments where he had a word for me. He didn't know me, but he had a word and he washed my feet. And that was in year nine. That's many moons ago for me now. But I've never forgotten he was willing to get down and clean my feet. But that's not the only example of feet washing I've seen in my life. Maybe I just have dirty feet, so who knows? But as some of you know, many, many years ago, my family was involved in the Black Saturday fires. Once the fire front had passed and the CFA trucks made their way up the mountain, we were able to get off the mountain and we drove down. And as we drove down the mountain, we drove to St. Helena where we had some family. I remember walking through the doors of my uncle and auntie's place and how we were greeted with hugs and welcomed into their home, even though we had nothing. Myself, mum and dad and Samuel were all covered in soot, ash, grime and all sorts of other stuff and we all stank like fire. My uncle walked into his kitchen and got a bucket of water. When he came back, he got down on his hands and knees and he washed my mother and brother's feet. Even to this day, I'm so struck by how much in that moment he showed Christ to our family. How himself and his wife opened their home to us when we had nothing and welcomed us in. Church, we may, phys- we may never physically wash someone's feet, but we can show Jesus to them through our lives. Lives lived with humility, faithfulness, obedience and gratitude. We can live a life washed in humility, amen? I might invite you all to stand with me this morning. And before we bring our time to a close this morning, I wanted to take a moment while the band plays quietly behind me to do something a little bit different this morning. Does that sound all right to you guys? Can we end the service a little bit differently? I actually wanted to create space for the Holy Spirit to work in us this morning. I wanted to create space for us to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. Perhaps during this time, the Holy Spirit will show you things that we need to work on and in some cases repent of. Maybe He'll bring people to our minds that we can love through service. So wherever you are right now, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and to simply listen to hear what God's saying to you this morning. We're not going to sing, we're just going to have the music play. Wherever you are right now, ask Holy Spirit, speak to me. I'm just going to stay in this space for a moment longer. I'm just asking you all to keep your eyes closed just for privacy. Because I felt during that time I had a word for someone. So it's always important to practice what you preach and to step out when we've just spoken about humility and obedience being two sides of the same coin. 
But there's someone in this room this morning, you think you're a doormat, but you're actually not. The image that I've got clearly was, you're actually a platform. Because of your humility, people are able to stand on that platform and go to the next level. Your humility is not a weakness. You create a platform where there wasn't a platform and that's a unique gifting on you. You have an ability to settle those around you to make them feel welcome and to help them reach the next level. And God sees it. Holy Spirit, thank you for the way you're moving this morning. Lord, we want to be a people not only marked in humility, but marked by the Holy Spirit. To be a group of believers that not only hear the word, but live the word. To be people that take the commandments of Jesus, not just on symbolic value, but to live out what you you showed us. Father, we're so thankful for your example in Jesus. Thank you that you showed us as followers of Jesus a different way to live. Lord, I pray that throughout the rest of our week you continue to minister to us. There's people in this room right now where God is actually, He's sifting a lot of things in you right now. Conversations are being brought back up to your mind that perhaps weren't good conversations. The challenge for you this morning, whoever that is, will you be willing to humble yourself and apologise? And it's not about whether you're right or wrong. It's about God calling you closer to Him. He wants to walk alongside you and hold you and sustain you. And once again, with every eye still closed this morning, we've read this morning that Jesus has the power to wash away our sins and to make us clean. And for some of us here today, we know that we need to be cleaned that there are things in our life that are holding us back from living the life we were created for. And I know what that feels like as I've been there. Because it's only because of God's love, mercy, forgiveness and grace that I stand here this morning speaking to you. And I would love to give you the same opportunity to enter into a relationship with Jesus that I received. I would love to give you the opportunity to have your sins washed away and to experience forgiveness. So if every eye still closed for privacy, if that's you this morning, I'd love for you to give me a wave so I know who I'm praying for. Awesome. Thank you, Father. Awesome. Thank you, Father, that through your Son we have forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that whilst we were like the tax collectors, still sinners, you had mercy on us. Never let us forget that revolutionary love you showed to us as you called us home to be sons and daughters of the most high and living God. Father, be with our community as we go out this week, Lord. Help us to be a humble people that causes people to stop. Help us to be a people that don't despise the small things, Father. Help us to be a people that are more shaped and formed into your image rather than the world around us. 
Give us a spirit of boldness this morning, Father, to be okay with looking different. Don't let us accept what the world is putting down our throats, Father, but let us actually show a different way. Let us live out the revolutionary teachings of Jesus Christ. We love you so much, Father. Before we close this morning, church, and I promise this is my last close because I feel like I've had four or five closes at this point. Don't despise the small things. Before this service started this morning, I walked down where the toilets are, like at the back in there, and there was a giant huntsman in the corner. Now, this may be hard to believe, but I'm scared of huntsmen. I know my tattoos make you think I'm tough. But I thought, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? Like, I can't have that running around. Could you imagine the carnage and the chaos? It was right near the ladies' toilets. And I turned, there was a gentleman there with me. He said, hey, man, I'll get it for you. That may have been a small deed, but because of that, we could walk around this room this morning feeling relaxed. (laughs) So to that person in the room, thank you. 